0: Well, this past week, I uh, uh, I went on Facebook and I asked the question, I said, uh, what's the best encouragement that you have given or been given in a critical moment? And uh, whether it's health or finances, job, family, what's the best advice you've given or been given in a critical moment? And I got over 50 responses, and all of them were really good, I can't read all of them here, but... I want to share uh, what I might call a top ten or something of of the list of those who responded. So what's the best encouragement you can give or get in a critical moment? Uh, One was uh, turn to a professional. (laughs) Another one, when you're going through hell, keep on moving. Remember who you are and whose you are. That was a good one. Then there's this one, number four. You can't get there until you get there. And only God can get you there. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? Time In a critical moment, somebody said this. When God's got you on hold, don't hang up. <laughs> I like that one. Several of these were song lyrics. There's some country song lyrics, some Christian song lyrics. And here's one. I've, I've heard it. Uh, but I think I've also heard this as part of the song. God on the mountain is still God in the valley. Yes. That's a good one. I like that. Somebody put some scripture on there. Psalm thirty-four, verse nineteen. Advice when you're going to a to a when you're facing a critical moment. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Isn't that good? I like that. And number eight was this: a crisis is the process of getting your attention to focus on becoming who God intends you to be. That's a good piece of advice when facing a critical. Moment Number nine is this. God allows what He hates in order to accomplish what He loves. That's deep. I thought about that a little while. That's, that's a good one. I like that one. And then for, for our, our friends uh, from the game last night, one advice, piece of advice was, it's only a game. It's only a game. Now, the, uh, uh, somebody flipped it and said the worst advice. I think it was Ron and Jan said the worst advice you can give at a critical moment is this. Well, it could be worse. <laughs> critical moments need words of encouragement. Isn't that right? In critical moments, among other things, it's always helpful and it's always needful to gain some words of encouragement. We're in John chapter 14 this week. And Jesus is facing a critical moment. John chapter 14, if you are turn there in your Bibles with me this morning. But Jesus is kind of at, a, at, a, at somewhat of a crossroads or a turning point in his ministry. He's at a critical moment where things are about to get serious. Here's what's happening. Jesus is, uh, knows that the Jews are out to arrest him. He's a wanted man. He's just had the last supper with his followers. He's washed their feet. And during the supper, he said to them, one of you will betray me. He had told them a new command I give you, that you love one another. After saying several times, my hour is not yet come, he now says in John 13, my hour has come. So he's at that critical moment, and he—all these things have just happened, and at the same time, there are several things about to happen. This is Thursday night, and Friday is the cross. So he's at that critical moment where he is about to go out with his disciples to pray. And you remember what happens? We'll talk about it in the next week or so. He goes to pray. What do they do? They go to sleep. There's so much. That's why we know Baptists are in the Bible, right there. <laughs> He's preparing for that season of prayer. He's preparing to come out of that prayer and face the arrest and the betrayal from Judas. He's preparing for the trials that he's about to go through over the course of the night, the mockery of the trials. He knows that the beating is coming that will take him to within an inch of his life. He knows the cross is coming within, within the, the next day. He knows that death is coming within 24 hours. He is at a critical moment. And at this critical moment, Jesus offers words of encouragement by identifying himself to his followers so so that in their critical moments they might have comfort and find grace and find strength. Would you stand with me? We're going to read today from John chapter 14. I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 6. When we get to verse 6, and the words will be on the screen, when we get to verse 6, I want to invite you to read those words out loud with me. John chapter 14, starting in verse 1, at this critical moment, Jesus says to his followers, because they know something's going on, he begins by saying to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if if it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. You can imagine the disciples right now are kind of up in the air. They know something is happening. Something's going on. And Jesus is talking about going away and preparing a place. And now he says to them, you know where I'm going. And so Thomas says there in verse number 5, he said, Lord... We do not know where you're going. <laughs> don't, we, we don't know. And then he says, how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. How can we know? Verse 6, read it with me. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our Heavenly Father, even in this room today, There are those who gather and they don't know the way. They don't know where you are. There are those that gather in this room today that are facing critical moments in life. And it might be a health issue. It might be a financial issue. It might be a relationship issue. It might be any number of things. It might be a spiritual issue as it relates to you. But Lord, for anyone here at that critical moment and for all of us together, may we find hope and strength and comfort and peace and direction, direction today, Lord, to know that where you are, there we can go. And the way to where you are is through Jesus, our Savior. So today, instruct us, remind us, encourage us, to face our critical moments with grace, peace, strength, and direction because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, please be seated. So today I'm going to zero in on John 14 and verse number 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A very well known verse of scripture, in fact, as we read through that this morning both both well all of those verses those first six verses of john fourteen very well known and so for many of us it's a it's a reminder it's an encouragement it's a it's, it's a refreshment of what we already know is in the scripture and and, and I want to ask of you to do the same thing that I have asked of myself this week and as i've studied, and that is already knowing this passage of scripture. Help me, Lord, not to just skim over it because been there, done that. Help me to really soak in and and some reminders of what I already know. But Lord, give me some fresh encouragement for my own life and some fresh encouragement I can share with others. I want to invite you, especially if you know this passage, to really give an opportunity for the Lord to speak some fresh truth into your life with it even today. I want to give you three encouraging words from John chapter 14 and verse number 6. The words of Jesus. The first encouragement is this, that is, Jesus is the way when I am lost. Yes. Jesus is the way when I'm lost. And lost has a lot of different connotations. You know, I, uh, uh, I used to get ridiculed in my previous church for telling the story that when I first went there, I got lost. That's not a big deal. If you're from the Durham area, you know it's easy. If you're, not, if you're new in an area, it's easy to get lost. Well, they would laugh at me because they would say, Lowell, the town we were in, Lowell is only two square miles. There's four roads. How do you get lost in Lowell? I say, if you don't know where you are, then you are what? You are lost. So there's lost that way, but there's also lost in the sense of spiritually. Let me, let, me give you some, let me give you some bad news. The bad news is this. I'm lost not because I don't know where I'm at physically, But I'm lost spiritually and I'm separated from God and I'm in sin and I am without hope and I'm not the only one in fact the Bible says we're all in that same boat of being lost well there's worse news what could be worse than that well the worst news is that many people are lost but they don't know they're lost. It's one thing to be lost and know it because if you're lost and you know it, do you know what you try to do? You try to get found. Help me. You go searching for directions. There's many people today that are lost and don't know it and they're wandering around like everything is well and hunky-dory and everything's just fine. And they don't realize the fact that they are lost and separated from God and under the judgment of God. It's like, it's like being oblivious when you're on a canoe somewhere. Say you're on a canoe and you're floating out in the, in the river and you're thinking everything is fine, not realizing that you're past the point of no return on the Niagara River and the falls are just ahead. If you don't know that, then you're in trouble. It, it's like a person that, that, that it falls off of the top of the skyscraper. And a hundred stories up, and they're going down. And at 99 and a half stories down, they say, well, so far, so good. <laughs> there are so many people, I believe, out in our world and our culture that are in a place where they are lost and separated from God, but they don't know it, and they think everything is going along just fine. That's tough. In Proverbs 14 and verse 12, it says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but... Its end is the way of death. See, there's a way. We think everything is fine because it's fine to us. It seems like it's okay, but death is right around the corner. We are, are, are notorious for thinking we've got everything under control. I remember as, as a young married man in my in my first church out of seminary in a, in a new home, and, uh, and I was responsible for washing or turning on the dishwasher. Guys, easy enough, Right? So I opened the dishwasher, I put the detergent in the little tub at the bottom, and and there was just a little bit left in the container. It didn't fill up the the thing at the bottom. So I thought, Al, I said, no problem. There's some dish soap right under the counter. (laughs) See? Some of you are like, like, what's the big deal? Dish soap. I put dish soap, filled it up, closed the thing, closed the dishwasher, turned it on, went about my business, came back into the kitchen, and and right in front of the dishwasher was an air vent. (laughs) And whether it was the heat or the air conditioner, I don't remember, but it was on because when I rounded the corner, there were the bubbles just (laughs) floating up in there. There's a way that seems right. It makes all the sense in the world, but it's not right. It is wrong. And and it's funny. Well, it wasn't funny in the time. I got in trouble with that. But it might seem funny, but in the end, listen, there's judgment. There can be judgment to pay, not with a dishwasher, but with our lives. But then there's good news. Aren't you glad there's good news? The good news is that when I'm lost and when I am out of, of sorts when I don't know the answer I can find that Jesus is the way when I am lost. Well how do I know? Why Jesus and not somebody else? Why why Christianity and not some other religion? Why should I pay any attention to what the Bible says? Why should I pay any attention to Jesus? How do I know to follow that Jesus is the way? Well here's how. It's by belief. How do I follow Jesus? How do I know the way? It's because of belief. If you remember the last several weeks, I've highlighted the fact that throughout the Gospel of John, the word believe and belief is one of the major words in the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John is a call to us to respond to the message of Jesus with belief. We're given the message so that we might respond to the message. Not so that we can check off the box that says, I've read part of the Bible. Not so we can check off the box that says, I was at church. Not so we can check off the box that says, I did something spiritual. No, it's so that we can believe and have our eternity changed and have a different life on this earth. That's why. In verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse number 10. Jesus said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Don't you believe? I'm not just a man. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a prophet. I am the Son of God who's come into the world. Do you not believe that the Father, God, is in me and I'm in Him? I am the one who has promised to come. That's what Jesus is saying. You need to believe it. Well, Jesus gave two reasons that we should believe. The first reason is because of His words. The words of Jesus are words of belief. The words of Jesus are a call that you and I might believe in him. Uh, For example, verse 10, The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Words. Then in verse number 11, Jesus said, Believe me or believe my words that I am in the Father and the Father is is in me there are, are are several claims throughout the scripture but also in the gospel of john of jesus claiming to be god they're very important for us to listen to that in particular in the gospel of john there are what are called seven sayings the seven I am sayings. You remember in in, in Exodus, back in the Old Testament, Moses said, well, well, when I go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Who shall I say sent me? And basically, Moses was saying to God, hey, hey, what's your name, God? God's answer is, you tell Pharaoh, I am has sent you. That's God's name. I am. I am that I am. The eternal present. I am. That's God's name. In the gospel of john seven times jesus used that very clearly to to both himself and his hearers to identify who he was i am and he would follow it up and in the gospel of john chapter 6 verse 35 he said i am the bread of life he satisfies our hunger not just our physical hunger but our spiritual hunger chapter 8 verse 12 he said i am the light of the world. He gives sight so that we can see in a spiritual sense. In chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the gate. He is the entry point into heaven. There's not like this this big, wide spot where everybody gets in. No, there's a narrow door, and and the door is Jesus, the only way into God. Chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He's the one that directs us and protects us and leads us to safety. Chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the one who gives us eternal life when we pass on from this world. Chapter 14 and verse 6, our passage for the day. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is our direction. He is our the, the one who, who provides a path for us. And in chapter 15, we'll get to in a week or so, uh, verse 5, he says, I am the true vine. I am your connection point into God. So Jesus very clearly called himself God. And so he says to here in John 14, he says, Believe me when I use my words. Believe me when you hear what I say. I am claiming to be God. But but not only uh, are there the the words of Jesus, that's the first reason we should believe, but secondly, there are the works of Jesus. Because Jesus not only said it with his words, he proved it with his actions. Do you know how many people have claimed to be God's promised Messiah? I looked it up one time on the internet. Because, you know, if it's in the internet, it what? It's got to be true, right? So I looked on the internet. how How many messiahs have there been? How many have there... And it's a list of over 50 different folks through history have claimed to be the messiah. Do you know why there's not a widespread worldwide movement to follow any one of them? Because they used their words and that was all they had. So not only does Jesus give his words claiming to be God, claiming to be the messiah, there were his works that go with it. Notice in verse number 10. Jesus says here, The Father who dwells in me does his works. It is God who is working through me, Jesus said. In verse 11, he says, Believe me. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Not just what you hear me say, but what you see me do. The Gospel of John says, doesn't give long lists and tell many stories about the miracles that Jesus performs. The other Gospels tell many more miracle stories. John is organized around these seven I Am Sayings, and there there are a a more limited list of the works or the miracles of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, there are seven miracles that Jesus performs. The first one is turning the water into wine, chapter 2. The second one is healing the nobleman's son, The third is healing a paralyzed man by the pool of Bethsaida. The fourth is the feeding of the 5,000. The fifth is Jesus walking on the water. The sixth is healing a man born blind. And the seventh, we just talked about a week or so ago, is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Why should we believe his words? Because we've seen what he's done. That's why uh, we can know That Jesus is the way. One Bible teacher said it this way. These miracles confirm that Jesus Christ is a God of power. He can heal a paralyzed body. He can open blind eyes. He's not limited by geographic distance. He can terminate disease. He can multiply bread and fish. He can control the elements of nature. He can recreate the body and bring the dead back to life. The Gospel of John clearly depicts the omnipotence of Jesus Christ, who is worthy of our faith, our trust, our praise, and our worship. Anybody say amen to that this morning? Jesus is the way. His words and His works demonstrate that. Let's look now at a second and the second truth that we see here from John 14 and verse 6, that is that Jesus is the truth in the midst of ignorance and lies. There are those who say that Jesus is not the truth, that we should not believe him. And in two broad categories of the reasons why, is because people either don't know or they tell lies about Jesus. One of those two. And so the Bible says, Jesus says here, I am the way and the truth. Jesus knows the truth. In fact, He knows all truth. We say the big theological word that we throw around is the word omniscience, all-knowing. Jesus is all-knowing. He knew at this moment that He was talking to His followers, having just come out of the what we call the Last Supper. He knows in His mind what's about to happen. He knows His hour has come. He knows the cross is right before Him. Had, had He not been God, He would not have known all the things that were going on. But because He is God, He is all-knowing, and because he is all-knowing, he is doesn't just know the truth, he is the truth. He's the embodiment of truth. He's the word of truth. He is accuracy uh, accuracy throughout everything that he says and everything that he does. What should we do in response? We should follow him. And the gospel of John speaks of Jesus and speaks of truth in these ways. John chapter 1 and verse 17, it says that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ where do we know what truth is how do we know truth because of Jesus John 8 32 you shall know the truth Jesus said and the truth shall do what set you free free. I love that verse John 17 and verse 17 Jesus is praying and I can't wait till we get to John 17 that's a couple of weeks away I'm going to tell you now I'm really going to struggle that Sunday to try to get all of John 17 into one message it's awesome All, all these chapters I'm really struggling with in that way But in prayer, John 17, verse 17, Jesus prays and says to God, Your word is truth. God, Your word is truth. So Jesus not only is the truth. He doesn't only embody the truth. He doesn't only speak the truth. But for, for, for centuries before Jesus was ever born into the world, we have what we call the Old Testament that tells us all these things about God. And Jesus is reiterating back to God the Father. He said, your word, the, the written word in the Old Testament, your word, God, that you speak, your word is truth. You know, God can't lie. He can't lie. If God says, let there be light, you know what happens? There's light. God can't say "Let there be light" and there not be light. That would be a lie. God says, "Elephant." You know what happened? Elephant. If elephant had not happened when God said "elephant," God would be a liar. He's not. God says it. It is. Your word is true. John eighteen and verse thirty-seven. When G- when Jesus is arrested, standing before Pilate, Jesus says, "For this purpose I've come into the world. Here's why I'm here." Here's why I've come into the world, Jesus says, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In response, chapter 18, verse 38, Pilate says, what is truth? According to the internet, of course I went to the internet, researchgate.net says there's two kinds of truth. There's objective truth and there is subjective truth. Objective truth is this: It is true for all people of all cultures and all times and all places, even if they don't know it to be true or recognize it to be true. So, an, an, an objective truth is something. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter where you live. It is true. Let me give an example: Gravity. Amen. Always true for all people in all times, all throughout history. Gravity. Is gravity. You, you can disbelieve gravity, but guess what? Gravity will prove you wrong every single time. Then there's there's subjective truth, which is something that's true for the person making the judgment, even though it may not be true for others. It's something that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. It may not be true for them. For example, the statement, I love dreary weather like today. Amen? How many say that yet I agree? I love dreary weather. All right, thank you. How many say, I'd rather have hot weather? Okay. How many say, I'd like to have nice, cool weather? How many don't care what kind of weather? Okay. <laughs> all these different opinions in here. Do you, know, do you know what all these different opinions, who's right and who's wrong? Well, we're all right. It's, it's a subjective issue. It's subjective because what's right for you may not be right for me. That's perfectly fine. Let me, so let me ask you some, some questions. Are these objective or subjective statements of truth? You, you respond. Say the word objective or subjective. If I make the statement, it's freezing in here. What is that? Subjective, subjective truth. How about this? People need air in order to breathe. Objective truth, yeah. I am so happy today. Water freezes at 32 degrees. Duke. Here's another one Oreo ice cream. That's objective. I don't care who you are. The Bible. Do you know people look at the Bible and some will call it objective truth and some will call it subjective truth? Even though, remember, if something is objective truth, when is it true? All the time. Even if people don't believe it, it's still true. So here's the thing to understand about the Bible. The claims of the Bible are claims of objective truth. The Bible nowhere says, well, here's what we think, and if you want to believe it, you can, but if you don't, that's fine. The Bible nowhere makes that statement. Here's some claims of the Bible that claim to be objective truth. That God is omnipotent or all-powerful. He is omnipresent or everywhere at the same time. He is omniscient or all-knowing. He is the creator, the sustainer, and the judge. That is all presented as objective truth. Mankind, you and I, we are presented in the Bible objectively as created in the image of God, sinful by our nature and action, and under the judgment of God for our sin. That's the presentation in the Bible, objective. The Bible presents Jesus as God's Son, the Savior of the world, the life giver for all who will believe. The Bible presents as objective truth that all people are called to salvation, that there's no one who is so far away from God that they cannot be saved. The Bible presents that all of us as believers are called to sanctification. God loves us so much, He takes us just as we are, but He loves us too much to leave us that way he wants us to change and be like Jesus and God calls all of us that one day when we pass on from this world when we know Jesus as our savior he calls us to glorification that one day we will be with him forever the Bible sets as objective truth that it is God who sets the standard for marriage for family for relationships for our speech for our sexuality our ethics our morality that we do not set those standards. Those are God's standards to set, and we don't have a voice in the matter except to let people know what they are. Objective truth cannot be subjectivized. I made that word up. I couldn't find it in the dictionary. (laughs) Objective truth cannot be subjectivized no matter how hard people may try. For example, the... The existence of God. Some people say, well, you know, we don't really know if there's a God. I'm not sure if there's a God. Well, listen, there either is a God or there is not a God. Objectively, from the Scriptures, there is a God. There are some who try to subjectivize ways to get to heaven. Well, you do your thing and you get to heaven and I'll do my thing and I'll get to heaven. The Bible doesn't present it that way. The Bible presents it as objective truth. There is sexual behavior of all kinds that is, that is just so, so prominent and pre- pre- prevalent in our culture today. You turn on the TV, and, and here's the only thing I can say about the sexual ethics of America today. Anything goes. God has something else to say about that. God has something to say about the beginning and the value of human life. That's not my call. That's God's call. And he has something to say about honesty. So, so we can say this, that biblical truth is objective truth. It is presented as objective truth in that it is always true in all circumstances for all people of all time. And that Jesus is the truth. What then should we do in response? We should believe him based on his words and based on his works. So lastly, have to go all too fast. We see that Jesus is the life that overcomes death. Jesus is the life that overcomes death. There's two kinds of life. There's earthly life and there is eternal life. We think about it that way. I want you to think with me for a second about Psalm 23 and verse number 6. Many of us know Psalm 23, one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. In the last verse of that passage, verse number 6, you see it on the screen. Would you read it out loud with me? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Many of us know that verse. Let me walk you through it really quickly about life. Because it mentions both earthly life and eternal life. It tells me that while I'm on the earth living my earthly life, that goodness and mercy will follow me. Let's break down a couple of key words here in Psalm 23 and verse 6. For example, the word surely. We just kind of glance over the word surely. But the word surely means it is so. It is so. There's no doubt about it. You can count on it. It's not questionable. It is so. Say that with me. It is so. Well, what is so? Here's some things. Goodness and mercy. The treasury of David says that goodness is what supplies our needs and mercy is what blots out our sins. Isn't that good? So it is so that goodness and mercy follow me. The word follow, I've kind of fallen in love. I've heard this verse forever. And I've kind of fallen in love with the Hebrew word for follow. Let me read you what it says in the Vines Dictionary of Hebrew and Greek words. The word follow means to run after. What does that mean? It means that it is so... That goodness, the supply of my needs, and mercy, the forgiveness of my sins, run after me. Another way to say follow is the word chase. (laughs) God is chasing me with goodness and mercy. Another way to say it is the word hunt. God is hunting me down to give me goodness and mercy. Another way to say it is God is pursuing me. That's where the word follow means to pursue. (laughs) God's chasing me around because He wants to give me goodness and mercy. That's what this verse is saying. The supply of needs, goodness, and the blotting out of sin, which is mercy, is following me in hot pursuit so that God might give me a blessed life now and eternal life then. Well, what in the world is wrong when these things aren't happening in my life? God's pursuing me and He's following me and He's hunting me down. Do you know what might be happening? I might be I might be receiving it. I might be experiencing it. I might see God in the rearview mirror of my life, and I'll say, I'm not about to, to slow down and let God catch me. I'm going to run faster. We might try to hide from God. We might neglect God. We might reject God. And here he is with goodness and mercy following us around, hunting us down, pursuing us, and we're running away from it as fast as we can. There are so many people that do that. And then, after goodness and mercy follow me, what's going to happen then? I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Well, John speaks of life that is brought about by Jesus. Let me just run through some some verses all too quickly. John chapter 1, the very beginning of the gospel. In the beginning was the word... The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have what? Everlasting, eternal life. John 5, 24, Jesus said, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. John 10, verse 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have what? Life and have it abundantly. John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I like that last part. Shall never die. You close your eyes in this world in death, and you open them again in heaven where there is eternal life. No more crying, no more pain, no more heartache. Just forever with the Lord. Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. C.S. Lewis believed that no ordinary human being could make these claims and be in their right mind. No ordinary human could make these claims and still be in their right mind. C.S. Lewis famously stated that Jesus is either one of three things he is either a liar. He knew better, but he said it anyway. Or he was a lunatic. He didn't know any better. He was out of his mind. He just claimed to be God. Or he is Lord. Those are the three choices, the only three options that you and I have as it relates to Jesus. Either he was lying to us about being God, or he was lying to himself about being God he didn't know any better, or he is who he says he is. And his words and his works would demonstrate that he is exactly who he said that he is. He is I am. That's who he is. The only question is not who Jesus is. The only question is what are we going to do about it? Are we going to do what? What is is the key word throughout the Gospel of John? These things are written that you may believe. Are you going to believe? Am I going to believe? Are we going to believe? Is the world going to believe? Because just as, as goodness and mercy, God is in hot pursuit, not just of me and you, but of everybody. And there are people that are running from God like you would not believe today, and all you have to do is turn on the news, look on the Internet, have a discussion with somebody, look at politics in our world today, look at the financial stuff in our world today, look at the condition of the world today, and you will see people are running from the goodness and mercy of God. And He calls us to believe in the way and the truth and the life. If you're here today and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, let me encourage you like this word has encouraged me this week. Prioritize living out your faith. Yes, you believe. He is the way, the truth, and the life. What difference is it making in your personal life? What difference is it making in the home in which you live? What difference is it making in your job? What difference is it making in the school that you attend? What difference is it making in your finances? What difference is it making in your morals? What difference is it making in your speech? What difference is it making in your attitudes? What difference is it making in the critical moments that come to your life and my life? If he is the way, the truth, and the life, the way the Bible portrays, and if we believe, then whatever comes our way, we will know that we can follow him and everything's going to be fine. Jesus says, John 14, verse 1, and followed by verse 6, he says, let not your heart be troubled. I am the way and the truth and the life. Amen? Let's stand together. Al's going to come and lead us. We're going to sing a great hymn of the faith, Jesus, I come. If, we, if He is who He says and means what the word means, all we can do is come to Him. Today, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, come to Jesus in a renewal of your faith. If you're here today, you've never trusted Him as Savior, come to Jesus. In faith, simply believe. Tell Him, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God. I believe that I'm a sinner separated. I believe that You died in my place and for my sins, and I want You to be my Savior. And if that's your prayer and your desire today, I'll be here at the front even while we're singing. Don't even wait for the end of the service. Come grab me by the hand and tell me Rodney's available, Al's available after the service, our other deacons and connect group leaders are available. Find somebody. Find somebody. Say amen to that. Find somebody. And let Him encourage and help you in your life of belief. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that it means in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, our community, in our world. And may it be so, because you are the way and the truth and the life in every moment. May we believe, may we obey. In Christ's name, amen.